Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Darren, Donick, and Chase. Willie Donick here with you along with Chase McCabe. Hello, Chase. Hello, Willie. Darren McFarland out for the day, recovering from meniscus repair. It seems like the reports are good, though. Reports are good. We've already heard from him today. Very good. He's feeling, you know, he's feeling good. I ta- I texted with him last night after the Preds' big win, and he said he had been up, moving around, and he was very surprised, and you know, feeling pretty good. So, who knows? He might rejoin us tomorrow. Might. I would say he's. I would say he's questionable. Questionable for tomorrow night. Questionable. What but- about what about tomorrow's show? Well, I mean, I think the whole day is questionable. I mean, he's a li- the whole day. So, so Max Hurst is behind the glass. Max, we have a show and we have a game. So it's it's you know this is the the workload of I know the big fella, right? We I know there's I'm, no easing back into this. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say uh, today limited participation in practice. So questionable. Right. But is there a scenario where he does one or the other, but not both tomorrow? Could he that be I up for know. a lightened workload? That I don't know. It's true. He could. But I, I feel good. I, I'm because I, I'm hearing sixty forty he's in. Sixty forty. Okay. I mean, those are pretty good odds. We'll see if the odds change during the show. We'll yeah, see if we, we will get something. We'll get from, some uh, we'll get some updates. Jimmy Shapiro could be sending us an email around one o'clock and on it will be the heading will be Darren McFarlane, probability <laughs> for probability participation to- on tomorrow's show. I so like we'll it. We'll see. Uh, so Max Hurst behind the glass. Max, you see what uh, Chase McCabe is donning today. Chase looks show. great today. I'm represented. He has got a full-on, full-passion Braves jersey. I walked today. in, and I thought Ronald Acuna Jr. was hosting the show. <laughs> Chase Ronald reminds Acuna. you of Ronald? I think we're a little, little different. I mean, maybe like a... Was Chase jogging and not sprinting? <laughs> yeah, it was, just, it was just a flash of light and he was gone. <laughs> I wasn't running it out. You weren't running it out, huh? Uh, so tell us about the jersey. Where did you get this jersey? How long have you had so this? So I actually, if you see this patch, okay. it's the final year of Turner Field. So I actually bought it at Turner Field um, in 2016. 2016. So Because I wanted the patch. So I, de- I decided to go no player. So blank... Blank on the back. That's always a, a, a smart play, just in case the guy that you right. buy. Now, I have a Chipper it, Jones. I have a Chipper okay. Jones jersey. And that's you can't go wrong with that because no, no, forever you're good, good on that one. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of at the point in life. I know there's you know, a lot of people will say once you get to 30, you know, you don't wear jerseys anymore. <laughs> I don't really listen to that, but I, I have gotten to the point where. Is it 30? Vax, how do you. Have you I don't buy. Your, what is your. I'm not buying jerseys as on much this. anymore. Is it? What's the? I age? don't think there's a cutoff. I think there are you times can do whatever you, you should, want. I think so at times you should be able to wear the jersey. That's what I, I mean. That's that's how I go about it. Um, but I just if you're going to a game, absolutely you should be able to wear yeah. the jersey, right? And when I go to a Braves game, I wear the hat and I wear the jersey. Now wearing you know to work or yeah, and usually I wouldn't wear it to work, but because of today, but today yeah, you know. it, you got your spirit. So, so you, we have. A fun day. You've got two game fives in the National League. A third, a little added bonus, thanks to the Tampa Bay Rays, beating Justin that? Verlander, taking taking it to him in the first inning and never looking back. 
We got a game five in the American League tomorrow. Yeah. Very exciting. I would assume, who's it going to be? Garrett Cole? Garrett Cole it and will, Tyler Glass now. It will yeah. be Garrett Cole. Uh, Tyler Glass now, the, and Max, you as a Pirates fan, still singing. That matchup sure. is ingrained in my brain right yes. there. Both those guys. Still singing, <laughs> singing from both. Garrett Cole and Tyler Glass now were both members of the Pirates. Uh, the trade of Chris Archer for Meadows and Glass now, and somebody else too. I, uh, Shane Boz, yeah. first round pick. Yeah, not looking good for the Buckos here. That's kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> so, Garrett Cole pitched about as well as you could possibly pitch his last outing. 15 strikeouts and one walk, which was, I think, the last guy he faced. But Glasnow is capable, and of course we know what the Rays do. They come at you with like 17 relievers that you've never heard of but are all really good. Yeah. It's just, it, it, we were watching some of that, and it's just the fact that, okay, they get one, all right, yeah, okay. You, you get you get one win at home, everybody's excited. But then to take out Verlander, and, you know, 4-1, I mean, they the bats got going, and to force a game five, I mean, you never know. I, I still probably lean towards the Astros, but that's baseball. We've seen some crazier things happen. And then I look at the National League today. You know, Marquise Munson from the morning show is a big Dodgers fan. And so he had he was like, man, I'd love Braves-Dodgers when go to Atlanta. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm kind of leaning towards the Nats, just the way they've been playing. I, I give them credit. Uh, for the character they've shown, we know the Dodgers. There's so much pressure to to win the whole thing. As crazy as it sounds, the Nationals, despite all their failures in past playoff series, they've they've done very poorly in elimination games. I think they're probably the looser team going into this game. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Strasburg will be on the mound for them. Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. So a fun pitching matchup there. That that's the late game. Both games on TBS and. Also on 94.9 Game 2, you can hear uh, the both uh, the National League games. And then Flaherty and Fultonevich in the first one. I, I'm both, nervous. <laughs> both of those guys pitch great. And Fultonevich has pitched so well down the stretch, you just wonder. Over the long haul, Fultonevich has been kind of erratic, right? You just yeah. never know exactly what you're going to get. I think Max Fried could figure in heavily. To, to this game i oh, like the way I, I he's think, pitched i think soroka could figure in if they have to i i i do I wonder everyone is available. how aggressive they'll go i think adam wainwright could figure in the sure. way he pitched you know the way his mentality is in the postseason he's been there so many times I, i'm curious how they go to him you know both bullpens I hope julio Tehran both is not bullpens available. you kind of say for for carlos martinez and melanson you know how how yeah do you really feel secure about any of those guys? I do. Melanson, I, do I would, but because they didn't use him in, yeah. in game four. Oh, he would definitely get the chance. I just don't know if, you yeah. know, is he absolutely going to shut him down? I, there's a lot of ways this thing could go. Yeah, the, the thing with Fultonevich is, you know, he, he was hurt pretty much through all of spring training, and he had such a great season last year that he didn't get spring training, and I think he was just behind and could never quite find his game. And when they sent him to Gwinnett for – you know, a month or so, um, just to kind of recondition and get away and, and all of that, it did wonders for him. Because once he came back, he was he was almost the old Mike Fultonevich. So, you know, I, I think it just it comes down to one game. That's baseball. And the thing that worries me, though, is Freddie Freeman has not been clutch. 
and and I I think there's could be an elbow issue or something, but you gotta have your big bat come through. And I I go back to if they end up losing, everybody's gonna point to Game Four of you load the bases twice and do nothing with it. You're not gonna win. That's just kind of how it goes. So, uh, and and even having Ronald Acuna on third. And he gets on. He gets on with a ground rule double with no outs, and you can't bring him didn't, home. It's didn't just get across. Yeah, I. They'll have. They'll look back and say they had plenty of chances. You yeah. know, even the game one. You know, they had had the lead going into the late innings. Couldn't yeah. hang on. So, just from from my standpoint, you know, my team is not in it. I'm just look, sitting back and going to enjoy just the drama enjoying some baseball <laughs> because it is it is so nail biting. You know, if you're a fan of one of those teams, it's, it's excruciating. It it is unbelievable tension that goes on while, while you're watching these games. It's it's going to be fun tonight, and it could be just the one big hit. You know, I, I would not doubt that all all four of the National League pitchers that are going tonight could dominate, right? Yeah. But it might be one long ball. You know, right. it might be a blooper and then a walk and then boom, three run homer. That could be the difference in the game. Don't that, you... That's what the game has come down to with yeah. the power pitchers that we see. Don't you know if you're baseball and you're TBS and you're Fox and you're sitting here going, well, three out of the four are going the distance. You have to feel good about that. You feel good about it, but I think deep down privately, I do feel like the way that baseball has gone this year with attendance being a little bit down and you know the spotlight being down, they really would kind of like to have the Dodgers and the Astros you know the the real headliner teams get through. The Yankees are already through, which probably yeah. helps. But if you know if the Rays pull the upset, you have a team with very little, you know, right. very little spotlight and nationally, you, getting almost none. They're they're yeah. an anonymous team to a lot of people, even though they're a really good team. The baseball fans like me, they love it. It's a great upset. I would you know it would be awesome. But for the casual fans, you know, who have seen the Astros come through, they've seen the Dodgers, probably. Yeah, but it, I mean, even something. if you get, you know, you can't go wrong with St. Louis or Atlanta because those are two historic True. franchises, oh, great yeah. baseball markets. I think you're good there. But the, I mean, because, you know, it, whether it's Cardinals Dodgers or Braves Dodgers, you know, those are going to be historic matchups. So I see what you're saying. Um, now, you know, maybe uh, maybe, maybe you just have the, the Nationals just become the Expos again, and then you can have <laughs> an old school historic uh historic matchup but look the the nats are the nats are nasty they they have been quite uh quite a team to watch especially in the second half so oh yeah i wouldn't be shocked at all if they take care of the dodgers here's a little bit of what we're doing today when we come back we will talk about uh, the predators night last night a good win against the san jose sharks exciting game uh Predators uh, went about it a little bit differently last night. We'll explain uh, what we're talking about, but they got the result they were looking for. Then at 10.30, John Glennon joins us from The Athletic. We'll talk uh, some Titans with him. They've got a game against uh, the Denver Broncos. We'll set that one up for you at 10.30. Uh, Chris Domino joins us at 11.30, a little later, to get a little more detail about that Braves matchup today against the Cardinals. Tim Hasselbeck has his weekly appearance with us at high noon. And then Chris Mason will circle back with us at 1 o'clock. We'll get his perspective on uh, the Predators, who are back in action tomorrow night against the Washington Capitals. Just getting started. We're cranking it up here on Darren, Donick, and Chase. Talking Preds next here on 102.5 The Game.
Eric Carlson comes up, left side at center, gave the puck away. Forsberg flipped it back. Forsberg shot, he scored! Philip Forsberg! And there goes Brett Peterson to the parking garage. Back here, Darren, Donick, and Chase. Darren out for the day. Max Hurst behind the glass. A good win for the Predators last night. 5-2 over the San Jose Sharks. Another sellout at Bridgestone Arena. You heard Philip Forsberg's goal there on the call from Pete Weber. Forsberg now, three goals Mm -hmm. in as many games. Uh, I, I thought last night was... A different game than I saw the first two games. Chase, we talked about a lot with Adam Vingan, the, the numbers, what they were showing with the four lines, all getting the, the vast majority of the shot attempts, scoring attempts. Last night was a little more balanced. The Sharks were very, very determined coming in at 0-3, just as we expected. Yeah, They were pushing hard. The Predators had to defend a lot more than they had in the previous two games. But they found ways. They found a way to win. The finishing ability of Forsberg, the power play goal, uh, the huge goal by Kyle Turris. So the, oh. they they were almost the counterattackers after a certain point of the game last night. It was a, it was an interesting game. I thought it was a very good way to win for for the Predators because I was very concerned coming in that the Sharks were just going to throw everything at them. And that was that was the case. Yeah, I was too. And look, you saw that push in the second period by San Jose. Now, what I have been impressed with over, you know, especially game one and now game three, is the Predators' response in the third period. When they know that they're the better team and they know that they have control, they are able to press down on the gas pedal and, you know, pull away. And that's exactly what we saw last night. And it started with that goal by Kyle Turris. And I heard Ryan say this in the pregame. I've said it. I said it yesterday to you. I felt like Kyle Turris was right there. He was knocking on the door of scoring his first goal of the season and has really played solid hockey through the first three games, and he got rewarded for it last night. It was, uh, I mean, you know, Rocco Grimaldi gets the puck to him, and it was a beautiful shot and able to get it past Martin Jones, and that started the pull away. And then, of course, uh, Matt Duchesne. What can you say about him? Watching him and Philip Forsberg. (laughs) I mean, Mikhail Grandlin on that line, too, he's he's played well. But Duchesne and Forsberg together has just been awesome to see. And then uh, defensively, as you brought up, I was impressed with um, not only, you know, Roman Yossi and what he did offensively, but Ryan Ellis had a, a solid game, and I think he's had a solid start to the season. He was on the ice for, uh, I believe, three goals last night for the Predators. And then, and then Dante Fabro. Brent Peterson and I were talking after the game just how – like it feels like Dante Fabro's been here for a couple of years, and it's been what ten games in the regular season, and it's one of the most critical things about this season with what they did in the off season. They put a lot of faith in Dante Fabro. We're we're very early, but I think the signs are good that he is handling the responsibility. Um, but as you say, they pulled away. You know, if you look at the final score at five two, they did on the scoreboard pull yeah. away. But as I was watching the game, I don't know if you had this feeling, Chase, but you know when Kyle Turris scored, I was very relieved because the Predators were on the ropes. If you look, yeah. you know, they led 2 nothing, but by the end of the second period, it was 2-1. to one. The Sharks outshot Nashville 18-7 in the second period. 
they were they really had Nashville on the ropes. I thought and they came out in the third. It was I think more of the same. And then Kyle Turris makes a big play. That was a gigantic goal for a lot oh, of reasons, as you as you illustrated. He, you know, now he's got a couple of points right. He's the last year is getting more and more in the rear view. He has taken to the role that has been carved out for him, which is less ice time. Mm-hmm. But he's still on the power play. And his line is clicking. His line is creating good chances. He and Rocco Grimaldi are working well together. If Callie Arncroke can find the scoring touch, mm-hmm. which remember he, he went from very consistent, 15 goals, 16, 15, and he dropped down to 10 last year. But he's a guy that should be capable of, of chipping in. He's yeah. got skill, right? If he can get hot, that's a line that you're saying, how do you, how do you account for all four of these lines, right? The, the, the other team just, especially like the Sharks, who I look at them, they got a lot of money tied up in two guys, Carlson and Burns, right? Tons yep. of money in two guys. They don't quite look as deep to me. No. I mean, they're still really good, but when you have a little bit less depth, when Torres' line comes out there, Peter DeBoer has got to say, okay, who, I, I got Forsberg's line. I got I got Johansson's line. What do I do when Torres comes out there? Yeah. Well, and the thing that I, I like through three games, and I hope this continues, because I, I know some people will look at the Johansson line and go, okay, what's going on there? Now, you know, Victor Arvidsson has – has scored a couple. Uh, Johansson had the assist on the empty, empty netter last night. I think they're playing well, but you have to give it time. I mean, Craig Smith has to acclimate not only to playing with guys he hasn't played with a lot, and but he's also on his off wing. So that's a part of it. I hope Peter Laviolette just leaves this alone for a few games and, and really lets things season. Because I, I think you really see it out of the tourist line that – Okay, they're starting to get there. They're starting to get their confidence, but maybe a few more games together, it'll be even better. And the same goes for the Johansson line. So I, I felt like there were times in the past that you know Peter Laviolette likes to mix and match, and he likes to move move players around, and that's fine. But I think you have to let it simmer for a while, and, and it seems like he's doing that, and we're starting to see the results. Now you've had instant results with Duchesne and Forsberg, which has been fun, and even even Granlin. But it's the others that I think will take a little bit more time to really show what they can do. I talked to Victor Arvidsson after the game last night, and you know he was praising the power play and Matt Duchesne and what he's added to that. But you know he also said like with with his line that you know there's familiarity with Johansson, but Smith is having to kind of learn how they think and how they play, and that just takes time. It, I thought Ryan Johansson did a really good job on the radio post game show yeah. with Ryan and Hal. And he talked about that very thing. He he said it's going to take a little time, but he really believes in in Craig Smith. He's a he's what did he call him a bulldog? You yeah. know something like that. You know he he's got a couple of really feisty, hard skaters with him. There's no reason that line isn't gonna isn't gonna produce. And I I I would be stunned if there's any changes unless somebody got banged up. Yeah, you know without us knowing, I I think they're going to roll that same group of twelve out there, the same line combinations. Which, uh, which I think would be would is a good sign. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. Um, so it's just it's one of those things you I use the the phrase you have to let it season. That's exactly yeah. what you have to do. And as long and I, as long as it's working, and, yeah. and and it is through yeah. three games for sure. Yeah, I, I think you have to feel good about this lineup from top to bottom. And you know, putting Matty Irwin in last night, 
um, to see what, you know, for his first action, I thought he did all right. You know, the third pairing is, is probably going to be the work in progress. That's where they have to, to tinker and tweak and, and work with things. I, like I said, Dante Fabro, the job he's doing playing alongside Matias Ekholm, that has been fun to watch. I mean, he is, he is fitting right in and nobody was expecting him to come in and be PK Subban and he, and he's not, he's being Dante Fabro. But he's playing his game, and he's not making the same mistakes twice. He's learning. He's leaning on some of these veterans to, you know, to hone his craft. And so I, I'm very, very impressed with that young man right now, um, because I, I literally do have to tell myself, yeah, he just, you know, he's a rookie. Yeah, and he, he's he's still young. And skipped skipped the minor leagues. Basically, yeah. that's that's the other part. Yeah, of it. Uh, Barry Trotz used to say, "All roads to Nashville go through Milwaukee." Well. For Dante yep. Fabro, right now, that hasn't been the case. He's he's a rare exception at this point. Uh, they did take a lot of heat la- last night. They gave up 65 shot attempts. Uh, that's a lot more than they got, but it was still effective. Pecorine, two games, two very solid games. Oh. Key saves uh, with a lot of heat in front of him. You know, he didn't have – Hal pointed this out on the postgame last night. He didn't really have that – you know, spectacular highlight save that's going to make the reels, but just so many good positional saves where he mm-hmm. was facing a lot of volume, a lot of traffic in front of him. But you're just rock solid, rock solid performance. Would you would you throw him back out there tomorrow night or go use? It, it's a good. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do because you have L.A. on uh, on Saturday. I I would guess that Pekka would not play both of the next two. Right. That that uh, I think Soros would get one of the next. Didn't two. Soros play in L.A. last year? That was the, yeah, that was his first win of the season last yeah. year. If I'm remembering that correctly, yeah, is that I, right? I that seems right. I for some reason I, I or have is that Soros the year before? LA. I'm getting. I might be getting into years that I know there was a year where he was zero and three. Yeah, and then he won in L.A. That might have been two years ago that that happened. But he's beaten. He's won out there before. I'd like to see Pekka in consecutive games. To kind of see what. You know how he bounces back after a day of rest and see what that looks like. I, I think there's a good chance that that would happen. Um, one other point, you know, they had another power play goal last mm-hmm. night, and that they they are, regardless of the results, and I, uh, Johansson made an interesting point when asked about it last night. I think what is starting to happen in the big picture, which is good, is when they're going on the power play. There's a belief. In the building, yep. On the other team's bench, that uh oh. Whereas you can they had it. they had lost that last year, right? Last mm-hmm. year there was that ah we're all right, you know from from the other team. Oh boy, you know there's a man in the box. Oh, but we're okay. You know they they right. have a struggling power play. We have a good feel for how to defend we, we their power making, play. We were making jokes, they, decline the penalty. Having, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that you know that was the thing. So I, I do think that now it's changing. I, I don't think the Sharks were happy when Nashville went on the power play yeah. last night. And Nashville cashed in with a big goal. Uh, and Ryan Johansson said it after the game. He said, we have created more options. Mm-hmm. I thought that Arvison was a very too. key point made. that We've increased the amount of options that we have. And so when you do that and you have an understanding, which they, they clearly do, um, it's more that the, and how how makes this point all the time. There's more that the defense has to account for, and it's hard to yep. stop everything if it clicks. 
And I think having you know, Arvidsson said the same thing to me. I think having him in more of a natural position in the slot has been huge because Duchesne can play multiple positions on the power play. And yeah. right now they have him in front of the net is a, is a spot that he's comfortable in. So I think having the the right personnel in the right spots creates some of those options. And we're seeing it. I love yeah. how they're moving the puck, even five on five. I think there's just something more dynamic about how they're moving the puck around and generating chances. I mean, they are, I don't have it in front of me of how many shots so far through three games they've gotten on net, but I would imagine it's it's pretty good because they are generating chances that I haven't seen them do in a while. It kind of reminds me of when Peter Laviolette first got here and how you go from the Barry Trot system to the Peter Laviolette system and it's faster and you're shooting more. And it's a little less of the dump and chase and, and things like that. I'm seeing that again, and I that – you know, that goes with the personnel that they have. They're getting the puck to Victor Arvidsson between the circles more. That's not mm-hmm. a position he played last year. It was pointed out by many. Uh, and if you look at the numbers, remember we pointed out over the last three years, he scored an average of over 30 goals a year, but he only has 10 power play goals and 10 shorthanded goals. That is eye-popping. But this year it's much different. They, he almost had another one last night, that little bumper play where yeah. they get it to Duchesne. At the side of the net, he one-times it right into the middle for Arvidsson. That that play is working. So other teams are going to have to say, we got to take that away. But that's going to open up other things on that power play unit. And uh, just Duchesne, his ability to work that side of the net, Johansson was talking about that. That is, that is making it a lot easier on the power play to open up good, good opportunities. So it is it's really nice to see. Duchesne is really Ugh. working out in a lot of different ways right now. Absolutely. He has uh, been quite the addition so far. Six assists in three games. When we come back, we'll switch gears. John Glennon. He knows a little hockey, but he is focused on the Titans and the Denver Broncos. We'll talk to him, set up the game in our next segment here on Darren Donick and Chase. Hey, NFL fans, don't miss Nashville's best NFL pregame show. Start your morning off with the kickoff from 10 to 1, followed by the NFL pregame show featuring... Jared Stillman, Floyd Reese, Chris Sanders, live from George Jones downtown on 2nd Ave. This Sunday, it's from 1 to 3, prior to the Titans taking on the Denver Broncos. Our NFL pregame show is brought to you by Wholesale Inc., powered by RumbleOn.com, Kubota Tractors, Middle Tennessee Kubota Dealers, and Boombaz, Craft Pizza, and Tap House. Willie Donick, Chase McKay with you. John Glennon joins us from The Athletic. He's got some interesting numbers. Uh, focusing in on some of the trends uh, that the Titans have done well and not so well through the first five games. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, John, let's hit on the first thing. You you've, you have focused in on, and, and I heard the broadcasters, uh, Spiro Didis and Adam Archuleta, have done quite a few of the Titans games so far. They're getting very familiar with what this team uh, has to offer here. And so they, they kind of hit on this theme as well. 2.5 seconds. When Mariota gets the ball out quicker than that, he seems to have more success. And when he holds the ball a little bit longer, less success. Fair to say? Yeah, I think I think that's very fair to say. You know, in, in fact, in the two wins the Titans had, uh, when Marcus held the ball under 2.5 seconds, uh, the best quarterback rating in the NFL in those two games is like 141.6. He threw five of his seven touchdown passes in those kind of situations. So uh, it makes a big difference. Now, probably a lot of factors go into that, too. Uh, one, 
you know, is Marcus being decisive? Uh, is, he, is he being uh, quick-minded with his, uh, with his decisions? Yes, in those situations. Are receivers creating separation quickly? Yes, in those kind of situations. Uh, and is there a lack of pressure? Uh, yes, in those situations as well. So if they can kind of keep those factors moving in the right direction, it allows Marcus to get rid of the ball quickly. Things generally go much better in, in that kind of situation. John, it seems in the in the big picture, in particularly the two losses at home, Mike Vrabel has got to be a little disappointed, probably a lot disappointed, that they, they've won the turnover battle in both of those games. They've done a lot of good things in terms of Mariota not, not making the big mistake, but they haven't quite been able to win the field position game, the type of game that they take a lot of pride in, how they've designed themselves to win games. So... Very frustrating. You know, the field goal kicking has a lot to do with that for sure in both of those games, but they're so close, and yet, you know, they're 0 2 at home. Yeah, you know, I, I think if you're a Titans fan, that's kind of the, the um, you know, the optimism that, that you share at this point is that you are so close. Uh, you know, two of the losses, a combined nine points, and, and even the Jacksonville game, you know, it was a 20 to 7 game, but you're still very much in the game, still in the, in the fourth quarter. So, they're not that far away. Now, yeah, as you mentioned, kind of the scary side of things is uh, this team has only suffered one turnover uh, the entire season. Uh, so you would think, uh, you know, maybe some of those numbers start to catch up to the Titans eventually. And, you know, you're a little worried that if you're 2-3 and three, having suffered only one turnover, what happens if you sprinkle a few more turnovers uh, in there? So that's a, uh, it's a bit of a dangerous situation, but... Um, yeah, you know, a couple other factors that you mentioned there or in the, uh, in the special teams front, um, you know, how often can you, are you going to go 0 for 4 uh, in the field goal department and uh, against Buffalo as well, the uh, punting uh, or the field position game, which has been so often in their favor uh, in games, really was against them. They started most of their drives, you know, around the 20-yard line or in that neighborhood in the game, and that's that's hard, I think, especially for this offense, which is not a particularly big play, explosive offense, to continually go down the field uh, and turn out those kind of yardage numbers. You point out a lot of things that they've done well in the wins, and it's been the exact opposite in the losses. The 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 battle up front seems to be a big a big key. In their two wins, they've been the one that have applied the pressure to the opposite team's quarterback, and. Of course, maybe their biggest issue right now is protecting Marcus Mariota, and in their three losses, it's been a big issue. Is it as simple as that, or, or, or do you think it, it has something to do too with the personnel that they have faced in those three in those in those particular games? Well, certainly they have faced you know more difficult defenses. You know, I think specifically against Jacksonville and Buffalo, and in two of the losses, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, we all know that, that there's been a sack problem for the uh, the Titans. I mean, they've given up 22 sacks, which is the uh, which is the second most in the league. But yeah, if you break it down a little bit more, um, it has been much more of a concern in those losses. You know, they've averaged actually six sacks in the losses. Uh, you know, as opposed to an average of, of giving up just a, a two in the uh, in the wins. And and one of those sacks, as I pointed out in the story this morning against Cleveland was actually a gimme. You know, Marcus Mariota kind of slid down late in the game just trying to waste some, some clock time. So it, it's been a huge difference there. But, you know, as we've probably talked about before, 
so much goes into when a quarterback gets sacked. You know, is it just that the offensive line is getting beat? Yes, that has certainly happened plenty of times. Uh, but also you have to, to, you know, take into effect the, uh, the quarterback situation. Is Marcus as decisive as the Titans would like him to be all the time? I think that's still a, a work in progress. And the wide receivers, too. I think there's been a pretty big disparity in terms of separation in the, in the wins and losses, too. I think we all saw in the game against Atlanta, you know, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown did a great job getting open. Um, you know, they, they were very open targets for Marcus Mario throughout the game. And in other games, we haven't seen that so much. You know, Marcus has had to throw into a very tight window, um, and uh, it just hasn't been there or Marcus has had to eat the ball and take a sack when no wide receivers are, are available. John Glennon from The Athletic here with us on Darren Donick and Chase and uh, referencing his article in The Athletic about Titans trends, that uh, the stats that points point to the differences in winning and losing this season. And you mentioned Corey Davis and A.J. Brown and what they have been able to do. I am curious because uh, Titans fans have been longing for that two top wide receivers, and I feel like they have it. But to your point, when they are taken out of the offense and they're not as productive, why aren't we seeing more of Adam Humphreys and Delaney Walker and even Atajay Sharp be able to to contribute? Because it, it just seems like once Davis and Brown are taken out, so is everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation, I think, especially you know regarding Walker. Um, you know, we're we're used to see him seeing him play 40, 50 snaps a game, playing a real central role. And, you know, granted, he does still lead the team with, with 18 catches, but, you know, I think there's only been maybe one or two games this year he's played more than 30 snaps. And, you know, we asked Mike Vrabel about that the other day, and he kind of explained that, you know, this is sort of Delaney's role, you know. He's, he's more, uh, you know, passing situations, third down, uh, um, you know, and, and, and sprinkling into some other situations. Uh, you know, and, and that's just not what we're used to, and I don't think Delaney Walker is really used to that as well. Uh, he says he's completely healthy. You know, there was a knee that bothered him earlier in the year, but he says he's completely healthy now. So, I don't know. I, I would expect a little bit more from Delaney Walker and, and the team trying to get the ball to Delaney Walker than we've seen in the last couple of games. You know, Adam Humphreys, he kind of is what he is. Uh, you know, he's been uh, decent for the most part in getting those short receptions, maybe picking up the uh, the first downs from time to time. He's never going to be a, uh, a game-breaker for the Titans, but, yeah, you made a good point. If you can't get the ball to Davis and Brown, certainly someone's got to be open, and you would think that would be Humphreys in the, uh, in the slot position. I go back to something you just said about Delaney Walker and how Mike Vrabel told you all the other day in the press conference, you know, this is kind of what he is, this is his role, and that ties into – you know, several things with Mike Vrabel and, you know, coaching decisions. I mean, if Delaney Walker can be an effective weapon like he has been in the past, I don't understand why you don't just use him more. And then also some coaching decisions like going for it on fourth down, kicking, trying to kick a 53-yard field goal when the kicker has been trash all day. Do you kind of worry about some of the decision-making abilities of Mike Vrabel right now? Uh, you know, certainly there are some, uh, as you mentioned, there are some decisions that have come up that kind of leave you scratching your head. You know, my, my guess is that probably, you know, 20 or 25 markets out there, fans are, are probably doing the same thing and, and asking similar questions about their head coach. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, those were, were pretty prominent ones to me in the, in the game against Buffalo there and, and that fourth down situation. 
me, going for a 53-yard field goal when your kicker is already 0 for 3 and you've still got, you know, six and a half minutes left in the game, to me, that's option three. You know, really, to me, I, I thought the best option was actually punt from there. Uh, you know, you pin Buffalo very deep in their own territory. They're not likely to get out given their, you know, the, the lack of explosive offense that they have, and you're going to get the ball right back most likely in good field position. You know, number two to me is, is go for it. Uh, and then the third, as I say, was, was you know, try that 53-yard field goal because, uh, again, even if you get lucky and you get that field goal, it's only 14-10 to 10 at that point. You're still going to need a touchdown uh, to take the lead. So it's not as if you're trimming it into just a, um, uh, a field goal situation at that point. So, yeah, I, I think he's had some head scratchers in, in recent weeks. Uh, and obviously when you lose, those become much more prominent. You know, if the Titans have found some way to win, we're probably not talking about that right now. John, the Titans take on Denver this week, but there was a report yesterday that first-round pick Jeffrey Simmons could be activated next week and could possibly even be ready to play against the Chargers. What have you heard on that front? Yeah, I, I think that's sort of the what they've been, uh, you know, expecting uh, for for pretty much this uh, season. You know, we've seen Jeffrey Simmons practicing, uh, or not, I shouldn't say practicing, sort of training on his own uh, regularly and, and sort of, amping up over the past few weeks. You know, Mike Frabel has worked with him one-on-one on a, on a regular basis before the uh, the main practices started. So, uh, yeah, that's the first week, of course, that he can become eligible is, is next week, and I would assume that will uh, that will be the case. Now, I still think it's going to be some time before he makes a significant impact. You know, we're talking about a guy who didn't play at all, obviously, in training camp, hasn't practiced at all start of the year either. Um so, you know, the Jeffrey Simmons that, that starts out uh, in the next week or so will not be the one that was tearing up the SEC last year. But in time, boy, I, I expect him to make a uh, significant impact on that line. And, you know, you get a, a front three like Casey Simmons and, and Daquan Jones, that, uh, that's going to that's create some real havoc. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to what he'll bring to the table in time. As I say, uh, I wouldn't expect anything uh, huge in the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely an X factor. You wonder in the final quarter of the season what that might look like. John, thanks a lot for joining us. Great stuff in the athletic as always. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, John Glennon. Uh, Interesting breakdown. You know, things are doing well in wins, things that are not going well in losses. He he has it uh, pretty well separated. When we come back, we'll we'll look at what is ahead here with the Denver Broncos. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, We'll give you the football outsider's profile uh, of what the Broncos have got, and we'll touch on a few other things. Some roster moves yesterday that I think we need to talk about, too. We will do that on the other side. Stay tuned. This is 102.5 The Game. Darren Donick and Chase. We will have Mike Vrabel's press conference coming up at 11 a.m. as he sets up the game in Denver this weekend. Never easy to go to the Mile high, High City and win, although the Broncos have struggled. But they were able to knock off the L.A. Chargers, who have had some issues, a team that everybody thought was going to be a main contender in the AFC. Some injuries have hurt them, and the Broncos took advantage of that. So we'll hear from Coach Vrabel at 11. We'll see if he addresses the roster moves. Chase, Mm -hmm. tell us what the Titans have done. So we knew that they were going to be signing a kicker, and the report was it was going to be Cody Parkey. They did signed Cody Parkey yesterday to the Titans roster, so he will be the kicker uh, moving forward for them. But 
there were a couple of other moves that they made because when they waived uh, Cairo Santos, they also waived David Quesenberry, the offensive lineman. So they had an extra roster spot. They end up signing two running backs, Dalen Dawkins, who's been on uh, the practice squad. He's been in the uh, in training camp as well, so he was a familiar face. They signed him to the active roster. They then waived offensive lineman Hronis Grasu, and uh, I would assume try to put him back on the practice squad, and signed veteran running back Rod Smith. Rod Smith has played for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he was with the Giants most recently uh, after leaving the Cowboys, but he's somebody that has some NFL experience behind Ezekiel Elliott, had four touchdowns a couple years ago for the Cowboys. So I find this move to be interesting you know, we've seen Derrick Henry be productive, but there hasn't been anything really from Deion Lewis. So I'm wondering if they bring Rod Smith in to try and be a, a backup running back to maybe take some reps away from Deion Lewis to try and get more production out of that second back. I'm not sure, um, but I thought that was interesting that they signed Rod Smith, who has some NFL experience. Ohio State, I believe, is where you play college ball. I just went into a time warp. I'm thinking with the Titans playing the Broncos this week, I'm thinking of the Rod Smith that played forever <laughs> yeah. on the opposite side of Ed McCaffrey for the John Elway back-to-back Super Bowls, Terrell Davis, those guys. So, right. Different uh, Rod Smith. Yeah. But, yeah, so I do I – do, I, I guess – I'm a big fan of Deion Lewis. I know it just hasn't – it hasn't happened for him uh, to this point in the season. The question is, is it just not getting in the rhythm – is it coming, or has he lost something physically that the coaches are noticing? And if nothing else, they're creating a little competition there. I'm I'm not sure. Well, I, I mean, there. It's one thing to add Dawkins because you put David Fluellen on injured reserve, and so you you want to have that third running back available. But the fact that you added two running backs and you brought in somebody with some NFL experience, um, you know, pretty pretty decent NFL experience. That says something, too. Now, you know, he could be just a special teams guy like Fluellen was and fill that role, but at the same time, you wonder if, if he's going to um, maybe get some carries, you know, to, to spell Derrick Henry and try and, you know, light a fire under Deion Lewis. So I am curious about it, um, as I said. And so, um, spent like I said, spent most of his career with the Cowboys, uh, has not appeared this season. Last year, 127 yards and a touchdown – Two years ago, 232 yards and four touchdowns for the Cowboys. Here is something I think is worth pointing out as we get ready to hear from Coach Vrabel. What's disappointing on one hand about the 2-3 and three start is that when you look at the quality of teams they've played so far, now I realize that when I, I'm about to give you these numbers from Football Outsiders, overall team efficiency, right? This is just their snapshot of everything. Now they break down every facet of the game as well, but the overall team efficiency – the Titans have really not played a tough strength of schedule. And I, I worry about that down the road yeah. where they're going to have to be that much better to overcome opportunities to win that they've left on the table. And as we pointed out many times, in, in particular, the two home games that they've sort of had in their grasp, coulda, shoulda won. But they play Denver this week. Right now, the Titans are 24th in overall team efficiency. I don't think that surprises anybody. You know, these... They've been average to below average. They're two and three. So that kind of lines up with what you would think. Denver is actually two slots higher. They're one and four, but they're 22nd in overall team efficiency. Indianapolis is sandwiched just between them at 23rd. Now, Indianapolis is three and two. 
Right. They're, but they're not, their numbers aren't blowing anybody away. But they found a way to beat the Titans. They were crafty. They found a way to go and beat uh, Kansas City at Kansas City. But they're, they're not a you know, powerhouse team in terms of the numbers. Buffalo, despite being 4-1, and one, is only 19th in the team efficiency department. Jacksonville is 13th, if you can believe that. <laughs> so uh, some of this, you, you do say, okay, what do these numbers actually mean? But I guess the overall thing, I would, Atlanta is, as you would imagine, kind of low. Yep. Cleveland and Atlanta, 26 and 27. So the strength of schedule in terms of the football outsider numbers, you know, the Titans have not played teams that have been playing at a huge high level. They got another opportunity here against Denver. But that that's the concern because well, they're going to have to, before it's over, they're going to play Kansas City. They're going to play New Orleans. They're going to play better teams. They just have to take advantage of these opportunities because the, you look at the losses, and I even say the 13-point loss to Jacksonville, they've been in all of these games. Right there. It's just a, it's just a couple of yeah. plays here and there that they're not able to execute. The, the big slip-up early against Jacksonville put them in a hole. But yep. the, the two other games, they're right there. It's just a matter of of locking down some of those little things for sure. Okay, Mike Vrabel coming up just around the corner. We'll get his thoughts on uh, on the outlook on Wednesday as they sort of set the table uh, for Sunday's game. Stay tuned. We're coming back with hour number two here on Darren Donick and Chase.